0: SECTION 17. CLOUDS. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. For gold must be tried by fire, as a heart must be tried by pain. It seems a rather strange turn of events that put Elias in the place of the gentle, devout Peter Cattani no one could doubt elias's efficiency that was beyond all question but that he had a proud self-willed spirit was also indisputable francis's mind at first turned towards bernardo de Cantville as peter's successor he always had a peculiar love for this his first son but though bernardo had risen to considerable importance in the order yet for some time he had been harassed with interior temptations and had been subject to great darkness though francis was not troubled very much by this experience of bernardo's saying it is a trial he will come out of it and be the greater for it afterwards yet he did not think it wise to put him in any new position of authority as his own trials would not leave him quite free for his work so Bernardo was passed over and Elias filled the vacant vicar generalship. Elias's government was active. Splendid order reigned in all the communities. He was unequalled for clearness of business views and his preaching was greatly sought after. Some historians say that with all Francis's gifts of perception he never, until it was too late, saw into Elias's character, and that the pride and self-will which were so evident to others were hidden to him. Elias loved show and external greatness rather than interior goodness and holiness. He loved Francis, but he thought he was far more capable of filling the vicar generalship than he. He regarded Francis as one to be admired not imitated it is quite certain that if francis had had the faintest idea that the order would suffer through elias he never would have elected him elias entered his new appointment in a blaze of glory he had come from the minister generalship of tuscany the most important post in the order which he had managed in a very skillful manner then another event had just happened which added to the lustre of his reputation a celebrated german preacher cesar of spears had attended his preachings and entered the order elias was installed at the next chapter before five thousand brethren it was at this chapter that on the seventh day they had to beg of the people not to bring them any more food and even then they had to prolong the chapter two days in order to eat up all the provisions that had been donated elias presided at the last sitting which was the one when the brethren received their appointments we have told you how unfortunate the first german expedition had been and how the poor brethren returned more dead than alive with fright well during the course of this last sitting Francis felt impressed that they ought to make another attempt for the salvation of Germany. As he was not very well that day, and unable to make himself heard, he pulled Elias by the tunic and whispered to him aside. Elias stood up and said, My brethren, this is what the brother tells me. They always called Francis the brother. There is a country, Germany, whose inhabitants are Christians and full of devotion. You have often seen them passing through our country, walking in the sunshine with long sticks and great boots, singing the praises of God. Several of our brethren have already been amongst them. They did not succeed and had to come back. Now I compel none of you to undertake this mission again, BUT IF ANYONE IS SUFFICIENTLY FILLED WITH THE ZEAL FOR THE GLORY OF GOD AND THE SALVATION OF SOULS TO VENTURE UPON IT, THEY CAN GIVE IN THEIR NAMES. A WAVE OF HORROR RAN THROUGH THE ASSEMBLY, FOR NO MISSION WAS MORE DREADED. BUT VERY SOON THEY RECOVERED THEMSELVES, AND ABOUT NINETY GAVE IN THEIR NAMES, SEVERAL OF WHOM WERE OF GERMAN ORIGIN. AMONG THIS LAST NUMBER WAS CESAR OF SPEARS who was appointed minister for germany a rather amusing incident occurred in connection with this expedition the ninety volunteers were all told to come out of the ranks and stand together till those who were to go were chosen as they stood waiting there a certain brother called giordano who was one of those most scared at the idea of a mission to germany AND HAD TAKEN GOOD CARE NOT TO VOLUNTEER, THOUGHT HE WOULD GO AND HAVE A LOOK AT THEM. GIORDANO HAD A SPIRIT OF INVESTIGATION THAT WOULD HAVE LED HIM INTO THE RANKS OF JOURNALISM HAD HE LIVED ONLY A FEW CENTURIES LATER. THEY WILL CERTAINLY DIE, HE SAID TO HIMSELF, AND IT WILL BE AS WITH THE MARTYRS OF Morocco. I SHALL NOT EVEN HAVE KNOWN THEM BY NAME. With that, he took off on an unauthorized interviewing tour, and accosting each one, he said, Who are you? What is your country? Then, as he told himself, when he heard of their martyrdom, he could say, Oh, I knew this one, and the other one. It was not a very lofty object, but it was an exceeding natural one. In time his investigations brought him to a brother who was a bit of a wag, and who, unluckily for Giordano, knew of his horror of Germany. I am called Palmerio, and I come from Gargano, he replied meekly when questioned. But my brother, he continued, you are one of us. You are going too. No, no, I am not, cried Giordano. I only want to know you oh but you are insisted palmerio and taking him by the shoulders he held him amongst the volunteers giordano was still struggling for liberty when cesar was appointed minister and told to choose those out of the ninety whom he would like to have with him several of the brethren who had entered into the joke with palmerio surrounded him and begged him not to leave out brother giordano i'm not going i'm not going cried giordano cesar looked at him and seeing he was a suitable candidate was inclined to have him he knowing that his countrymen were neither savages nor man-eaters and that there was not the slightest danger to fear was rather at a loss to understand the fuss will you or will you not go to germany you must decide he said to giordano This threw Giordano into great perplexity. If he did not go to Germany, he feared his conscience would condemn him, seeing that he was chosen. And if he went, the Germans were ferocious, and he knew he would not make a good martyr. He consulted a brother who had been robbed fifteen times during the last Hungarian mission. "'In your place,' advised the man, "'I should not choose.' i would say i shall neither go nor stay i will do as you say giordano followed this advice and was chosen for germany he got the better of his fears and worked bravely and his journalistic talents were used in compiling a valuable chronicle which tells us how the miners were established in germany The most important event in the history of the Order was the establishment of a school for theology and training. This was begun by Anthony, whom you will remember best under the name of Fernandez, and who was led into the Order by the death of the five Morocco martyrs. He was not only deeply religious, but very learned. Upon hearing him preach one Easter, Some of the brethren who were present got the idea that a school was needed in the order, and that Anthony would make a splendid head. They laid this plan before Elias, who highly approved of it, and undertook to present it to Francis. To convince Francis was quite another matter, and for some time he would not hear of it. But Elias was a clever reasoner, and he got Francis at last to listen to the plans still he hesitated his ideal had always been apostolic preaching and he dreaded any change in his beloved order at last he gave in and wrote his consent to anthony thus i consent to your teaching holy theology to our brethren on condition that such teaching does not stifle the spirit of prayer either in yourself or others i hold firmly to this point for it is our rule whether this step was a good or bad one we cannot say we only know that under anthony no harm came of it but rather good with all his brilliancy and keenness of intellect and in spite of the way men ran after him and honored him he still kept his simple faith and humble spirit After the chapter we have already described, Francis took a tour with Elias into his late province, Tuscany, and then, on his return, he set himself down to compile a definite and comprehensive rule for the benefit of posterity, and to which future generations would be able to refer. Probably the laxities of Elias, which were beginning to make themselves manifest, strengthened francis in his determination to leave his articles of faith behind him in such tangible form that there could be no questioning the principle and line of action elias's influence was being felt all round the devotion to poverty was not what it once was and the love of authority and office was doing its deadly poisonous work in the hearts of some Francis' decision to draw up a definite rule was far from agreeable to Elias and his set. Nevertheless, it was done. Taking with him Leo and Bonizio, Francis went off to a hermitage, and there he dictated the new rule. On his return to Assisi, he gave it to Elias to read, telling him to take care of it. When Elias read it, he found that it entirely did away with many of his most cherished plans. So a few days later, when Francis asked him for the rule again, he said that he had lost it. Francis answered never a word. He returned to the same solitude with the same companions and dictated the rule a second time. This rule has been handed down to us intact. It is very largely an amplification of those first verses of the gospel which were to Francis his call to his life work. It is remarkable for its clearness. If any brother transgressed this rule, he did it with his eyes open, and knew what he was doing, too. There is no sign of any laxity in it. As Francis advanced in years, he became more and more strongly attached to that simplicity of faith and work which was the light of all his life. At the next chapter, a copy of the rule was given to all the brethren. They were told to carry it about with them always, and learn it by heart, and repeat it often to themselves. It was drawing near Christmas time when this rule was finally passed by the church and as Francis was in Rome just then, he determined to put in practice an idea which long had been simmering in his brain. It was an innovation, but then he was convinced that it would make men think more deeply of the holy baby that was born to bring peace and good will to earth. Accordingly, he sent the following message to a nobleman named John, who was devotedly attached to Francis. I wish to keep christmas night with you and if you agree this is how we will celebrate it you will choose a place in your woods a grotto if there is one you will put in it a manger and hay there must be an ox and an ass also it must as much as possible be like the manger at bethlehem all was prepared and when christmas night came an immense multitude carrying torches and lighted tapers poured through the dark midnight woods to the grotto the brethren sang carols as they came and these were caught up by the people till the forest resounded again and again francis himself led this mighty procession to the manger and there standing at its head the oxen and asses pressing close beside him, and the flaring torches lighting up the whole with an unearthly lurid light, he preached to them about the meek and lowly Jesus, who came to earth to be despised, persecuted, and put to death. It was a time of much blessing, and that night saw a dawning of peace and goodwill in souls once darkened and lifeless. But all this time, ever since he returned from Egypt, Francis's health was slowly but surely failing. Weak and ill, and with the lurking fear that the principles of the Order were being undermined, his last two years of life were anything but peaceful ones. Not that there was anything done openly. That was the misery of it. An open, bold innovation could have been taken hold of and dealt with but elias was far too politic and clever to do anything that might lead to his being put out of office any question of departure from the rules that came up he always blamed on the provincial ministers and professed to be as grieved over their failure as francis himself though secretly he supported them he carefully gave all the truest franciscans appointments far away from assisi and francis and kept those of his own mind near home this was not a bad thing for the ultimate success of the order because it preserved the real spirit abroad and when bernardo de quintaville stepped into elias's place ultimately he had all his foes close to hand round home where the franciscan principles had taken deepest root it was hard for francis when one after another of his faithful followers came to him and with tears reproached him for having given them into the hands of another when they at last took in the fact that though the spirit might be willing the flesh was too weak to do what it had once been able to do Their sorrow knew no bounds. Some of them were almost a little selfish in their grief. You will pass away, said one. Your family will remain in the Valley of Tears. Who can take charge and direct it after you? If you know of one on whom your mind can rest, I conjure you to tell me. My son, said Francis with tears, i see no one around me equal to this task of being shepherd to so great a flock thus tortured by bodily pain and weakness and tormented by unseen foes and enemies of all that he counted dearest and most sacred he entered upon the two last dark years which were his valley of the shadow before the eternal sun rose never to set again god of my life through all my days my grateful powers shall sound thy praise my song shall wake with opening light and cheer the dark and silent night when anxious cares would break my rest and griefs would tear my throbbing breast thy tuneful praises raised on high shall check the murmur and the sigh when death or nature shall prevail and all the powers of language fail joy through my swimming eyes shall break and mean the thanks i cannot speak but oh when that last conflict's o'er and i am chained to earth no more with what glad accents shall i rise to join the music of the skies the cheerful tribute will i give Long as a deathless soul shall live. A work so sweet, a theme so high, demands and crowns eternity. End of section seventeen. Recording by Tom Hirsch.